ます Hello, is is this Eddie from Arm? Uh, this is uh, Timo. I'm more or less a stranger, but uh, I, I'm doing this podcast thing. Uh, I don't know if I can have an hour of your time. Hello, hello, H- hello. I think he hung up. Hello. Uh, yellow. Hi, Eddie? Yeah. How are you doing, man? Good. I forgot you were calling. I was, I was in the shower, but um, I'm in the drive right now, like, to West Covina from Long Beach. I'm nodding, yes. I'm in the drive to Covina from Long Beach, so I, I have some time to talk while I'm driving. Oh, okay. Uh, Wait, does that mean you still have to, like, get ready and get into your car and all that? Yeah, give me, like, five, ten minutes. Yeah, no worries. Take your time. Do what you need to do. Uh, hit me back, I guess, when you're ready. Well, I'll like five All right, sounds good. Okay. All right, bet. Good man. Yellow. Hey, man. Hi, man. How are you doing? Pretty good. That's good. Are you uh, driving? No, but I'm about to walk out to my car. Oh, that's okay. Uh, but are you gonna drive? Like, will this be a a, a distraction? You think? Oh, uh, eh, that's Fair enough. Uh, do you want to get started? Yeah, sure. Do, do people call you Timo? Yeah, people do call me Timo. People rarely call me by my name. You know, Mike uh, Mike Soto. Yeah. He's the only one that like approaches calling me by my by my full name. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll answer to Timo. I'll answer to uh, Timo or, uh, yeah, that, or Man, I guess, you know? Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, well, before I start these things, I like to ask a question with two parts. Um, uh, mind you, this is, uh, this is terribly nerve-wracking for me as you're kind of a minor celebrity. Well, a major celebrity for me, but like a, a celebrity to me. So uh, I'm gonna be a little bit uh, strange. Uh, so the question is: uh, two of your favorite movies, two of your favorite albums. They don't have to be the top or most favorite, but they have to be two that you go back to. Uh, name me two of your favorite movies and two of your favorite albums. Okay. It's fascinating. Favorite, favorite album, favorite movie? Yeah, two two albums, two movies. They don't have to be the top or most, but two that you go to. Um, I guess I'll pick a present and a past for the uh, probably the most influential album was the I found the Locust uh, split with it was Locust and Arab on Radar. Okay. And it Ezra Split and it's it was founded at Tower Records like in two thousand three, maybe two thousand two. On your own? And yeah, I was just browsing through CDs. Which one was your favorite side, can I ask? The Lucas, of course, but <laughs> Okay. I just what, what I listened to over and over and over and over for like a long time and I think there's a glitch on the first track, but no one ever mentioned the glitch and I don't know if it's it's maybe people think they did it on purpose, but I think it's a glitch. <laughs> Did you think it was on the record? Like, was it on vinyl? Um, I never really got into vinyl because 
I bought a record player and then that, it broke like in two weeks and I gave up. <laughs> Fair enough. And then, it seems really inconvenient to to uh, have to drop the needle on the tracks you like the most, you know? Fair enough. Yeah. And uh, current, mm, I think the murder record, it's murder from New York. And I think it's called I Did It All For You. And uh, no one really, none of my friends like New York punk, but. Like as a rule? I think it's like, it's like the same way everyone hates LA. They just don't <laughs> like New York. <laughs> okay. But I think it's it's a guy from Hank Wood and the Hammerheads, but um, all three members of the band sing. And it sounds very distinct, but uh, all the songs pretty much sound the same. and. It's pretty cool. Like they really came up with a concept and ran with it. So that's one of those that I can listen from the beginning to the end over and over. Fair enough. I think that's. I think that's how I judge an album. It's like if I could listen to it from the beginning to the end, and I know it's like uh, I like the whole album in the band. Fair enough. Uh, have there been EPs? That, well, I'll get to the questions later. Two movies. Two movies. Uh, for sure. Recently, Midsummer. I okay. saw like three times at the movie theater. Wow, okay. It's like two hours long. And yeah, I know. I, s- I sat through yeah. that one. Have you seen it? Yeah, I sat through that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> the first time I saw it, uh, I took the clients from work to go see it, and they were all from like out of town, and there was like an earthquake in the very first like 30 minutes of the movie. Oh, weird. Yeah, so we had a really strong earthquake in LA uh, that happened last year. And it was interesting because they never really experienced an earthquake, and they all looked at me, and I just told them to just stay still because all, all buildings in California have to go through earthquake regulations. Right, so you're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so everyone else panicked except us, and we were okay. But uh, after that, I saw it two more times. So. You know the movie uh, Mother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a buddy of mine who sat through Mother during that earthquake. Yeah, that's crazy. Those movies are very, like, psychedelic, and then it's just crazy if something happens in real life, and you're like, holy shit. Yeah, he said, it, yeah, he it said. It impacts your experience. Is that what? It impacts your experience a little bit. What part of the movie was uh, happening when the earthquake struck? When the when the old guy jumped off the, the fucking cliff. Jeez, all right. And another movie, uh, I don't know if it's because we're talking about Hagrid Bardem, but I watched No Country for Old Men over and over. Uh, yeah, it's a hell of a good movie. How do you feel about the Coen brothers? Uh, I really like Fargo, and I like the first act of uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Only the first act? Why is that, you think? I don't know, I got lost after James Franco happened and then the sideshow freak, dude. Like, I just kind of, it was hard to understand what was going on for me. Oh, all right. Did it just get boring? I think the beginning was just so perfect, and then after that, like, uh, I'm not sure what's going on. Like, who's the main character? Right. Fair enough. Uh, okay, so now we're started. How are you doing? How's your day? You wake up early, or is this like around the time you uh, get started? This is around the time because I usually stay up till like maybe three or four in the morning. Uh, doing uh, music stuff, reading, uh, hanging out. I got out of work at midnight, and usually I get home around one, and then I had to draw to, to do a commission for someone. Like usually, they also ask me to do like a, a logo or t-shirt or something sure and if I'm not doing that I'll just do I'll just practice drawing on my own for like whatever I want and it's pretty good too I had to learn how to like just be patient with myself and I'm drawing now instead of just kind of being in a rush and um yeah forcing the work just drawing for myself is kind of like a good experience for me now now that I got sober I used to do a lot of like psychedelics and smoke weed all the time just to get into the mood to draw or be inspired but I feel like it's just out of my way I just I just felt very impatient I needed to get more and more fucked up while I was drawing and then I I had a lot of regret when I looked at my artwork that I did 
back then. One of my one of my friends has like my friend Sean has like eight or nine paintings that I did when I was drunk, and he hangs them up wherever he moves to. He hangs them up in his living room, and I always like it just hits me like a million uh, bad flashbacks every time I visit one of his new places. Jeez. Because I've known him for a long time, so he's moved a couple of times, and he just hangs up all my paintings, and it just reminds me of that time of my life when I was just drinking every day. Well, you've been uh, at least doodling since, like, you were in high school. Oh, since I was a kid. Uh, that was one of those things that, like, we didn't, I didn't really have a... Um, like an outlet? My dad, my, yeah, my dad was a lot older when I was born, so they kind of... My, my brother's influence helped me a lot. So my, my older brother was really good at, like, drawing cars and anatomy and stuff like that. And obviously, I, I couldn't do that, but I was just trying to imitate him drawing. And I would just doodle a lot. Well, you say obviously, but I, I can't presume that at all. Yeah, 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 true. You know, because, I mean, I uh, I think I've liked your work for a long time. I think you were selling stuff at a... Um, at a cafe setup, and uh, I had money at the time, but I was so well. I, I think I was I was also lost in drugs and the alcohol a lot. So I would have the money for a while, and I would jump in like, oh hey man, I gotta I gotta pitch in for one of your things. But it was so far away from me that I couldn't show up there and just put the money down. And then by the time I I you know I I did have the ability to do that, I didn't have any of the money. So I always felt a little bit of regret there that I didn't like invest in your artwork. But I've always been a fan too. Because you're uh, you're more truer to your vision. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess those things are good. Just like I said, to just uh, have like a record of that moment in time. But right, I don't feel like uh, like the finality to it because I'm so drunk. Right, and then yeah, and the hangups. Um, I've heard your other podcast. I, I if I should probably mention here if you uh, if you feel like a um, like you don't, you don't, you want something to be extracted from this podcast. The code word is uh, Bulbasaur. The safe word is Bulbasaur. So just say Bulbasaur, and I'll, I'll cut out that bit. Um, okay. But uh, I remember hear, hearing well, one of the podcasts. I don't remember what it's called necessarily, but I remember it took place at the rec center, and you uh, you talked about your uh, your relationship with meth and how you had to get away from that because it was a bad experience. And uh, and I found that really like relatable. Like I also had to step away from that stuff because it was really like killing me, you know, that kind of thing. So I found that really like inspirational that you could find, uh, I don't know, a way outside of that, and also just a, uh, I don't know, be able to talk about it like that in public. Well, oh yeah. Uh, what Say again. I guess meth specifically. Drugs in general, I mean, I don't know how you feel about them, but they never really interfere with my life as big as meth has, or maybe alcohol has too, but, you know, meth namely being the deterrent in, like, being, I don't know, positively alive, you know? Yeah, uh, well, it's because a lot of, a lot of people, it's culturally very acceptable right now to do coke for some reason. Yeah. It's very, like, trendy to just talk about, like, perico and... Uh, I mean, it's been in, in movies a lot, and like for a long time, it's accepted by by the mainstream, and it's not really something that you talk about like getting hooked on unless you're talking about crack, which is weird. Like crack is just frowned upon, but cocaine's okay. Um, yeah, that is and, weird. And then when it comes to math, it's just like a really, really known as a really dirty drug because it just it, it kind of collapses how people look. Like it makes you really skinny and. You, we have all the image of like the tweaker, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I guess I got lucky. I didn't get hooked on it as bad as some of my friends did. I I would do it every every other weekend for a while. I did get pretty bad on it for a little bit, but um. And you were working at the time. I think you were like in bands, and you were like, oh, you were in a band. You were, I think, in Arm at the time, and you were like just touring and doing like all this like heavy stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was because there was a couple of times where I had meth in my pocket, and then. I'd wait till either I was bored or like the end of the first show and I was just 
do some mess in a van and all of a sudden everyone would notice like dude you're on a sick one but um but it's weird how they have to tell you that because you don't like know to stop yourself yeah there's no boundaries and there's no like it's kind of like you're holding on to what you can do it again and that sucks because you feel like the world's babysitting you and then it makes you feel very pathetic about it and yeah um and your family realizes that you're on math and, and everyone's super disappointed. There was one time I was, I was, I was uh, my mom was babysitting this kid, like, like my mom's a, a caretaker, so she was babysitting this kid that was like my little brother, and he, just in a sense that I've, I've seen them grow up from like two to eight, and uh, I used to show them how to draw trucks and stuff, because it's a bunch of trucks. Sure. Every one day I was coming down pretty bad, and, and like, I was in the living room because I didn't want to, I felt like I was going to die, like, at my heart Fuck, yeah. Holy shit. And then it just it made me realize, like, damn, like, he doesn't have context for it, but this isn't cool that I'm, like, putting that in his face and it's not okay. And, um, yeah, suddenly... Not that, I would do dr- not that I would do drugs around it, but just, like, the... No, but the reaction there, yeah. The embarrassment of your situation, you know? Right, right. Uh, I remember when we uh, when we first met. I think like we we we've seen each other like around. I think you you played a show at my uh, at my old school at uh, this Catholic school uh, uh, Salesian. And uh, but after after that, at some point uh, after high school, uh, Mike Soto himself met, uh, invited me over to Vegas to uh, to the show that that Synt- I think Syntax was going to play. And, uh, and, you know, we, we wound, we wound up just, you know, I, I took a fucking thing of whiskey and I just fucking just went, I was, it was basically a, a very, very drunk weekend, but there was a point where you and I were like, Hey, you, you I think you, you were like, Hey, you want to go get a hot dog or something that you, you want to go get something to eat? I was like, Oh, sure. And here I was, you know, hanging out with some, the guy who was in the band that I was like, you know, hugely admiring at the time. And then I was, well, I have this way of being that's very hyperactive. And uh, I remember just being, just, you know, excited, I guess. And uh, we were waiting for the elevator, and you looked at me, and you're like, hey, are you, are you on one right now? And I was like, no. And I was trying to explain that I wasn't, which somehow I heard myself talk about it and made me feel like, oh, just I'm clearly in denial somehow, even though I was, like, not guilty. It felt strange to feel that guilt, but I remember having that guilt even then. And it was a, it's a weird guilt to have, but I don't know if it set the tone for the rest of the hangout that night. But um, that stuck with me, that, that idea that, like, I wasn't even on it, but I felt bad that I could be classified as though I were on it. I don't know, like, I could identify with the stuff even then. I mean, I'm past it now, but uh, I remember the thing that I found most... Mm, comfortable about the drug was the come down the come down was the place where i was like oh i know what this feels like this feels like my youth this feels like home and that would be the the, like my favorite bit of the whole high which is strange because i would tell people about that and they would they would it would like i don't know they would roll their eyes or something but it was it was a strange thing that I, i i knew ultimately was the thing that you know, kicked me out of that habit that I was like, well, if I'm so comfortable here, this is going to kill me. So I should probably just better step step away. Uh, I think that that's super true because when um, like my the thing that didn't the switch didn't really go off for me for meth to where like I was uh, obsessed with being on meth all the time, but for me it was like alcohol and uh, the thing that I missed the, the most about the thing that was more most comforting about being an alcoholic was like being uh, sick the next day and being like very hungover and um, the times that I can remember the most are like the times where like I pissed my pants and I lost my wallet and I lost my phone and somehow like my friends threw me through the front door and my parents found me like with my pants pissed on the floor basically Yeah. and then just waking up and like having that game was like fuck 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 Fuck, where's my wallet? Oh, fuck, my, I found it, but it's soaked, and I can't believe I pissed myself. And then, like, being super hungover, but just, like, finding $2 to go buy, like, more vodka, like, it, it, that was, that sickness felt, felt, like, very familiar, and it was, I was starting to, um, be comfortable.
comfortable with that. So I get it. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be a tough thing getting carried away with that stuff. Uh, but moving away from the subject of that stuff, uh, let's talk about music. How? What? What was the deciding factor that you wanted to be in a band, or did you just stumble into it? Fan existence, I remember that. I know from ACDC had a call back then, so that's how I found out about him. And I remember Jang Lee, a firm resistance exists, was kind of like being security, kicking people out and stuff. So it was very impactful to see that at a young age, and uh, it it it, it kind of ensured me that you could that I could be in the punk scene somehow, and it wasn't like over at all, like it was still actively going on. Because when you, you hear about punk, uh, when I first learned about punk, I thought, like, the germs and subhumans, and uh, that was, like, the second wave after the British band, so right. it was already, like, long and gone, Yeah. obviously not. Right, the crust punk scene was a very interesting thing, too, yeah, because, like, you're hearing, uh, well, yeah, for, from my experience, I'm hearing crass, I'm hearing flux of pink Indians, and all of a sudden, you see bands nowadays doing that thing, but that thing was happening in the 80s. It's it's fascinating that it didn't occur to us that it was happening now, but I guess that's the that's the whole thing about a subculture is that it's underground means that it's not talked about in the news. So how are we supposed to hear about it unless we get into it? I think we just stumbled into that. Yeah. Uh, what about the faster stuff, uh, power violence or grindcore? When when did that step into the foray? I went to Bloomington High School, and Bloomington High School, it, it, it was, it's a very small school that they don't really even have their own district, so the bus system from Colton has to drive us to high school, and in that high school, the, the, there was only like maybe 20 people that were into like alternative music, so uh, out of that, three of them already had ARM, no, yeah, three of them already had ARM, it was a three-piece, and they were super influenced by like 65 bands like um, Spaz and Charles Bronson and everything. Sure. And at that time, I was very into like the crust and like Andrew crust, like Amidix and Dystopia. And so the drummer of ARM, his mom made him quit the band. I think he was like failing in, in a class or something. She told me he couldn't be, he couldn't be in ARM anymore and hang out with them. <laughs> All right. So then the bassist slash singer of ARM moved on to drums. I think they were trying to be like fast, like very, very much like fast. Like like a three-piece or? A three-piece and a same structure and how they sing and everything. Okay. It was just like copycat fast. Sure. But, there, there was um, a lot of that going around, yeah. Yeah, but so the bassist slash singer moved on to drums and then they needed a singer, so they they were, I heard they were asking and I had like the first demo and I was really into the first demo in high school, even though they were from a different part of town and they didn't like the kids from my part of town, but uh, I approached them and asked if I could just go practice, go try out and they said yeah and then like after, I, I kind of knew the songs already, like I knew the structure so I nailed it and then they said okay you could be in it. Uh, didn't what, They didn't like the kids from your side of town, was that in 
correlation with their, you know, the alternative kids at your town weren't all that alternative? No, I think I think it's one of those things where you find rivals even in your own community just because you don't know them even though they're in the same the same stuff that you're into. Yeah. It's like it's like how like uh, I don't know. It's like you you see another rockabilly person and you're a rockabilly person and you just stir each other down. <laughs> like your enemies even though you're dressed exactly the same. Yeah. Like it goes like that with a lot of subgenres, but yeah, it does. Um, it was one of those things, and not only that, but they were from like the rich side of town where all the it was like the suburbs and then we were I it's out of my imagination because the kid that got kicked out went to my house and he told, he came back and told everyone that there was a, a like a big hole in my ceiling and you could just see the sky from my living room and like when it rains it just fell down on us and he was surprised or what no, all that happened is like it was raining and then there was a leak and like a part of the drywall like fell and that was it. But he made it seem like we were just living like in like squalor or something. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they were kind of making fun of me for being poor back then, but um. But anyway, it, so yeah, I guess I guess in a kid yeah. in a kid's kind of way or in like a malicious kind of way. In a malicious kind of way. Yeah. Jeez. That's funny that you have to grow up with the, around kids that are like, uh, yeah, I, I think I did a lot of that. The schools I ever went to were probably higher, like they were just, the kids there were better off than I was. But it was weird to be thrown into the mix because in my parents' point of view, I guess I'm getting a better education. But in from my point of view, it's like I can't relate to anybody there. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The songwriting, was that all you or was that all... Uh, the band's collabing. For ARM or currently? I guess for ARM, because what, uh, what's between ARM and what you're doing now, Clorox Dream? Like, the transition? Yeah, what, was there a band in between there? Yeah, so... The whole thing with ARM is, uh... It's the, we, I, I, we have, like, a revolving door of, of guitarists and bassists. Um, Moses was in there for a good chunk of time. Right. Moses from Syntax. Yeah. And then we had Kyle from Narwhal Party. He was playing bass for a good chunk of time. Okay. And we had Sergio, of course, like one of the original members of ARM. When I when I started singing, Sergio started playing second guitar, and he lived across the street from Omar, the original guitarist. And the whole thing, I think it's basically been me and Omar have been the two consistent people in, in all my music projects. Okay. We just, we hit it off in high school and then we, we, we spent so much time together that we have like that, like, telepathic, uh, communication where like, I can finish his sentences and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it makes for us working really well together to make music where like, I'll, I'll pitch him an idea. Like, I don't know how to play stuff. I don't know how to play instruments, but I suck at it. Right. And, but, but I'm better at, at coming up with ideas for riffs. It'll take him a while. He can make a badass riff, but it'll take him a lot longer than I than me just like mumbling to it. So I'll be like, and then he'll figure out the chords for it, and then like boom, we have a song, you know? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So so me and him. So one of the guys from Arm died. He passed away while I was in China, and I went to China to get away from my family and that's a whole other thing but yeah. um, one of the guys died during that time and then Omar got married so I felt like I was missing a lot over here in America so I stayed back and then we tried to make it work with Tom but I was just too drunk to make things to make it happen I just wasn't able to participate in the band very much so I was always just shit based and like at the point of blacking out anytime we did anything Yeah. so um we didn't function and then when I got sober we didn't have no arm anymore so me and Omar started like an electropunk little I remember that yeah Ghastly Castle what was that Ghastly Castle is just my art name right okay so I'm confusing it but I think I played it oh man I was wasted when I played that show but I played a show with I was in a band with Moses we were called Gaza and yeah, yeah. oh my god yeah but you guys played like afterwards which is sad because i sobered up by then enough to like get my head straight but it was too late the bandit we'd already played and messed like just fucked up 
entirely, but that's probably another story. But what was the name of that band? The the, the duo, I guess it was. Digital Dungeon. Digital, Digital Dungeon. Dungeon was Omar Omar's name for his own little solo thing, but I started singing on some of the tracks. Yeah. And then we just became like a two piece and thought of like performing together. And then like uh, with that, Omar Omar was a genius with, with all the music, and then I would just like write lyrics, and the lyrics were supposed to be very like vulgar and a lot of uh, alliteration and stuff like that. And so, um, it, we were a little bit older, but it was the same like DIY ethic of like making our own videos and. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it was a backyard show still. I mean, I think that was the tail end of my even going to backyard shows, but that was a backyard show. Yeah, and, and then Omar, I, I made him like a mask where it had the, 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 the eyes cut out, but the top of it was like a cone shape. Right. So everyone everyone thought he was wearing like a KKK hood, <laughs> or they were doing like a social commentary on the KKK. Right. So... We were getting through the songs and then people were yelling at him like, you need to take that shit off, like, fuck you, fuck KKK. And then I was like, I was kind of like, dude, he's Mexican, what the fuck are you talking about? And it was just like, fuck you, fuck you, and it just like flipping him off as we were performing. Yeah. But it was pretty interesting because all the music was just in the background on, on like audio, like on the, in the aux cord. Yeah, and it was the two of you on microphones, I think, right? Yeah, so a lot of people would tell us, like, they didn't, those people that didn't know what, what power violence was and we and would be around when we performed, like, at, we'd perform, like, at cafes in Riverside. Like, okay. Market night and stuff. Oh, okay. People would be like, oh, you're like the Beastie Boys. Because <laughs> there's, like, a back and forth on the vocals. Right, right, right. Here's a hip-hop project. Exactly. That's, that's uh, fucking interesting. Did yeah. you guys put anything out? Yeah, we put out, we put out one full album. Like the original debut, it's called Flowers for Me. It's on YouTube and it's on SoundCloud, and I think it might be on Bandcamp. I'm not too sure, but for sure it's on on YouTube and SoundCloud. And then Omar told me he wanted to make a 420 themed album, like. And I, I was already sober, but I was up for the I was up for the, the you know the task of trying to write lyrics about weed. Yeah, yeah. And well, and, you had lived the life by then, right? What happened? Well, you had lived the life of a of a stoner by then. Oh yeah, yeah. I just I just took it as like like if I was making art for like a, a client, what would I do? So right. I I approached it like that. So we made a weed themed album called 420 Surrender, <laughs> and I think I did after that. Um, he picked up a guitar and we started doing just him on guitar with with a drum beat and me on vocals, and then we released like two songs like that. So that was it. Was there a good? Was there a reason why you you um, I don't want to say avoided playing an instrument, but was there a reason you didn't pick up an instrument? I just never got good at it. I mean, I've had I, I think I have a guitar and a and a synthesizer right now, and that just it's kind of hard for me to um to call it, to have like, like the discipline to devote like three or four hours a day to it. Right. And my mind, my mind's racing. I have all this other shit to do. Sure, and you do. You you you're a busy guy. You've uh, you've done a lot. Um. Yeah. So then, okay. So after this, uh, after this duo thing, how did Clorox Dream come about? After that, we tried to uh, recruit Jay from Cave State, the drummer. Yeah. We talked to him about about trying to do Arm again. And we practiced with him. It was Jay and Moses on bass, Omar on guitar, and me on vocals to do arm all over again. And then after a while, Jay Jay told us like Jay is an awesome guy. He's a really really sweet guy. And he told us like he just didn't have the time to to put what the effort that we needed into arm. Right. Does this Jay Jay the drummer? Yeah, he had Cave State. He had Harm. He had, uh, was he in Oipanoi at all, or was that a different deal? One more time. Was he in Oipanoi, or was that a different deal? Yeah, yeah. yep, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Oipanoi was amazing too. Um, yeah, th- so that so the arm thing could it have? What was the uh, what was the reason for putting to arm back together again? Was it like a need to like want to do that, or was it more a tribute to the old arm? Uh, I think 
<laughs> it was. I mean, it, it, it's the convenience of not, of not having to start from scratch, and then because we we tried that with Digital Dungeon, just starting from scratch, and we experienced like, like, damn, it sucks to not have actual instruments behind us, and, and having to get a new crowd and everything. I see. But, um, I guess it's just the convenience of like you already have a brand, you know, and yeah. you already know the songs, and the songs are there, and the songs are cool. And the following uh, was big, I presume, right? The following was pretty big at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people remember us from back then. I, I think the, the fact that the internet was coming out with MySpace and, right. and all of that really helped us that we were forming at that time, and people were like barely listening to music through their computer and then going to go see us at the backyard. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we already had like like recognition and stuff in clout. And um, we wanted to hang on to it, but after a while, it felt like we were we were the only two trying to hang on to it. Yeah, just rehashing the past. It's too hard, hard to make a drummer that was capable of, of playing all the songs to to be into it as much as we were. So yeah, and you were more youthful at the time, anyway. So I mean, to keep up that speed, I mean, you got, you gotta just to keep recruiting like fifteen year olds who are like you know all this energy. Yeah, that's true. Um, Clorox Dream. How how's that? Uh, how's that coming along in your eyes? It's awesome. I, I I'm really excited that that we we're we have a lot of organic fans. We a lot of the people that it's funny because we still play with a lot of like the OGs. Like we play with with Harm and we play with um, I think we played with Hoi Pinoy. We we play with a lot of bands that that have been around a while. Yeah. But every now and then, like, I'll look up, and the people that are, that are like, dancing to us are 19, 20-year-olds, and they're dancing to us the way that they want to dance, like, kind of, like, swinging their arms, and it's just very different. It's not, like, traditional, like... Yeah, a, a different, a new style, I guess. I don't want to call it metalcore dancing, but something uh, different. Yeah, because I'm, uh, we're, I mean, I'm used to, I'm expecting to see, like, a thrashcore dude with a flip-up hat in his 30s, like me, and yeah. doing, like, a little circle pit, but it's not that anymore, it's, like, younger people, and um, that's very, very cool to see, because it's, like, it's something unexpected, I think, for me, and... Uh, Their attitudes are different, too, isn't it? Their attitudes are different too, right? Like their approach to your music, it would be different. Like what they would compliment you with, probably different than the kids back in the day would compliment you with. Yeah, and I think people used to be very, very uh, uh, afraid to talk to me, or they would think they would hear reputation that I was like a dick because I was always drunk and just very arrogant back then. So now, because um, I've been working in treatment, like I, I, I feel more open to talking to people because I realize like people are just kind of. People are just people. No one really knows what to do. Everyone's just kind of like doing the best they can and reacting to each other. So I don't hold this arrogance anymore. I just kind of like, I just feel very open to letting people um, talk to me or like give, I'll make my impression, I'll make my decision on what I think of them later. Like I'm not going to assume that everyone is an enemy or a friend anymore, you know, because that's, like, that's how it was back then, my, my mind. But... Um. Yeah, it's very it's very cool to see like the kids coming out. Yeah. Into the new stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about your uh, art influences. Uh, and I don't mean I don't I guess I don't mean influences. I guess I I mean more interests. Uh, do, did you go to school for art at all? Yes, I went to the art institute. Rest in peace. <laughs> in San Bernardino. Uh, and I, I graduated with a BA in graphic design. What are the artists you picked up that you still hold on to? Artists that I still hold on to? Yeah, name some names. Artists that I hold on to... That you wouldn't have heard about, like, outside of that an environment. Uh, hard to say. Back, I remember I used to like this illustrator called Ian Stevenson a lot. He, he did a lot of, like, little wonky characters. Um, but... He was kind of he was kind of big. He's an Australian illustrator, and he's kind of big to be drawing these little characters. And it, it kind of inspired me to just to see it acceptable to do it my own way. 
I, I used to really like Gary Baseman because I felt like he he illustrated with paint instead of like just line drawing. Uh, he did a cartoon teacher set. I remember that. I was just thinking that because I remember seeing his uh. His style has been even on the cover of the New Yorker, but I remember thinking, I have seen a cartoon that looks like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like children's book stuff, but yeah. it's a little more surreal. And painterly, I didn't know that, that he worked uh, exclusively in paint, or is it? Yeah, it looks like he does everything with acrylic. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I, I remember I had a book of him, and in the book, he, he had, like, Halloween masks he made, and... It made me feel like, oh yeah, like a lot of artists do this thing where, like, not only you can't help it, but want to paint on on other surfaces than you know than a canvas. Right, right. I mean, we'll be getting into street art from like from there, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Like that, anything can be drawn upon. Yeah, I used to work at this warehouse, and uh, I, I, we had a bunch of these wood pallets that they would make shelves out of. Uh huh. And then. My my manager let me take him home, so I started painting on wood panels. Uh, wh- wh- where are you working at now, if I may ask? I work at a. I've been working at this rehab in Hollywood for like two years now. Uh, this is um, contributing to the thing, or you are you do you have like assignments, as in like you have specific people you work with? I'm the manager of my shift, so from four to twelve, I'm the guy that's like coordinating where everyone goes and basically. Uh, making sure that people are getting what they need. Like, a lot of people have medical issues where they need the test for diabetes or, you know, socks because their their legs are getting swollen and stuff like that. So I kind of have to, like, coordinate who's going to run a CVS and who's going to go take them to the beach or who's going to go pick up dinner and stuff like that. So I see. It's fulfilling. Yeah, it's very, very, it's very cool to do, but it takes up, like, eight hours of my day and then, an hour driving, so... Well, it's work, um, right? Yeah, so it's taking all the time from doing, like, art. But I still try to do art every night. Have you always been localized, like, a drive away from everything? I have always been. Have you always... Have you always... And this is going to be a weird-sounding question now that I hear it. Have you always been localized a drive away from everything? Like, has everything been a drive away from uh, from you growing up? Or just, like, working even? Like, everything's far? Yeah, it seems to me, like, I think La Puente comes up a lot, or, like, you know, like, you'll, you'll do shows here and there, but it's always, like, a drive away. And then, like, even today, uh, you have to drive from A to B, which is, uh, I don't know, I, I presume it takes a lot of your day, in it? The drivings? I never really thought about it. I think maybe because we grew up in Fontana, everything is already an hour away, at least. If you want to go do anything interesting, like, if you want to go to a show, you have to go to Riverside or Corona or... Los Angeles, but um, for a long time I didn't drive because I was drinking every day. I couldn't get my shit together enough to go get my life, my license, and fix my DUI stuff. So like for like five years I didn't drive. I would, I would just get rides everywhere. Yeah. And it feels it feels very it made me feel very depressed about my situation, like getting older and older and just not being able to drive myself. So. Right. Um, now that I do get to drive, I don't really see it as like, God damn, I got to drive. I see it like, as like, oh, shit, I have a car, and my car's okay, and there's air conditioning, and I could, <laughs> I had the ability to drive anywhere I want because I live in California, and we're, we're really spoiled. I, I meet a lot of people from, like, the Midwest or the East Coast, and they tell me, like, damn, you guys, there's mountains here? Oh, shit, the highways are very big. Oh, man, look, there's palm trees. Yeah. And I, they're just things I overlook, or I just don't know that we're, we have so much privilege. Yeah, sometimes I forget there's a mountain landscape behind, like, the city of Los Angeles. Um, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, but it sounds like you've been living on the road, like, all your life. Um, but I also see also the uh, the idea that you can probably list, you have a relationship with music different from people who aren't on the road because you have the op- you know the time and the opportunity to listen to all this stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I listen to a lot. You know, I'm either listening to music or I listen to podcasts, and I, I feel smart when I start. <laughs> <laughs> when I feel smart when I talk to someone that I know all this shit about serial killers and stuff. <laughs> all right. Uh, what about NPR or radio? Do you do you uh, do you dabble in radio? Every now and then I listen to This American Live. That's on NPR, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, those are pretty interesting. When I when I get when I get sick of serial killer podcasts, I listen <laughs> to that. 
um, yeah. what about the uh, that underground station? Jeez, is it KXLU? Have you ever played at a, 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 a an event or anything related to KXLU? I know they're big on the uh, music scene. No, we've played a few college stations back in the day, but I don't. I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, fair enough. Um, what about books? Are you uh, are you reading any books these days? Yeah, I'm reading uh, a book on Richard Ramirez right now, and it's very. <laughs> I think it was written in like the early '90s, so I at first I was reluctant to read it because I feel like I don't know, it just feels old. But like there might be new evidence or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I feel like they could do more now, but it's it's very uh, throwback to look at like the pictures and the descriptions of like people using the telephone with the cord on it like stuff like that it's it's almost like a novelty so um, I'm enjoying it yeah the uh, the idea of serial killers didn't strike me until I uh, until I got into punk music and then deeper into punk music and found the band Dahmer and then it was just like oh I gotta I got start paying attention to this stuff because this stuff is really interesting Ted Bundy and all this other information how did how did you fall into the subject of uh, serial killers Yeah, I didn't get into serial killers until the band Dahmer. Oh, okay. Uh, how did you How did you run into the uh, the subject of serial killers? Uh, one of my one of my brothers was murdered on accident. Like he got shot by this dude when I was like I was like five years old. And it was in '91. Were you present? And, no, I wasn't present, but my older my oldest brother was. So that really, I think death was really introduced to me like a, like super young, and I didn't understand it, but I. I definitely had experienced the impact of like someone missing from your family. Yeah. And I think um, all those times that I did math or coke or I just was doing too much, like I had that, that anxiety of like I'm gonna die and my family's gonna feel so sad about it. Like I think I, I feel more guilty about my family going through that again than, than the fear of death. Yeah. And I had another experience where this this kid I grew up with, uh, he lived across the street from me for like 20 years and then he passed away like in front of me. So I had like gnarly experiences with death and um, when I read about the serial killers and stuff like that, like it, it kind of... It grounds everything? It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's familiar to how family makes you grow up in like weird ways. And yeah. for obviously for serial killers, they grow up with twisted mentalities because of abuse, but um, I'm not I'm not in a place where like I'm psychotic or I have mental issues, but I definitely do think I have the capacity for it. No, just personality differs from from uh, from being around my family. I see. My yeah. my oldest brother still lives with my parents, and it's like it's like uh, it's weird because. I looked up to, to him a lot, but I, I can see how he gets in his own way and he's just stuck in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, people can be beaten down by tragedy sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know what that has to do with serial killers. I guess it just goes with death. And no, it does, yeah. Because uh, the subject of tragedy is, is like, um, I guess is the draw. You know, it, it, it makes a... Uh, the first time I think I, I figured out death was a a thing was uh after grade school there was this girl she was one of the popular girls in grade school but she was really nice to me and i remember it stood out to me that she was nice to me her name was gladys and then like a couple years later i'd heard about she'd passed away in a really bad car crash on the fourth of july and there was a funeral and everything and i remember being struck by the idea that no one told me about it no one you know and i was i was kind of like a i don't not not offended but just um Really sad that I couldn't be there to to you know pay tribute because she was uh, kind of a a unique person and it it was sad to me that like the best person out of that class would you know would would be uh, would be struck by something like this like death and it's uh, and it kind of just was the first person like in my life that kind of like uh, passed away and uh, yeah I guess I've been obsessed with death since then but uh, more in a 
uh, anti-me kind of way as opposed to like, a, oh, everyone's going to die. It was more like, oh, I want to die, you know, or I'm going to die. And then, well, I don't know, that, that spiraled into this other stuff. But I think I've dug myself out of there. But I could see how, you know, tragedy and, uh, you know, the subject of serial killers can be, you know, correlated and and it could just, you know, make make things seem a little more reasonable sometimes, just looking at, like, the source or how these things happen. But it doesn't really answer all the questions. I guess that's where spiritualism and all that stuff comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a spiritual guy, you think? Outside of serial killers, do you read any like uh, fiction or nonfiction? Not right now. I'm really open to it. I just don't know really what what to what to read. Yeah. Um, what about movies? Have you ever watched any old Mexican movies with cantinflas in them? Nah. I mean, I, I, I just because I, I maybe because my parents were watching it, <laughs> I just thought it was corny. Like maybe rolling laughter at something he said, and I, I'm like, what? What's so funny? <laughs> Yes, that's right. Well, what about Vicente Fernandez? Do have people like bragged about how they listen to Vicente Fernandez? Oh yeah, he has a beautiful voice. Okay, yeah. I like him. Ah, uh, fair enough. He's innocent. Uh, well, uh, Jesus. Uh, you ever catch? Oh, yeah, what's up? What? No, you. I, say, I I also have another band right now going on. Oh, well, please shoot. Yeah, it's a whole new project. It's uh, it's called Water News, and Joey, the drummer from Blessing Concrete, he's also in rap. Uh, he plays drums. Leo, the guitarist from Fisher, plays guitar. And Juan uh, plays bass. He was in a death metal band with Joey back in the day, but he does a lot of projects. And uh, we're supposed to have the new singer from Twitch and Julian, but... I'm not 100% sure if he's going to be in it or not. But This is a band yeah. you're in as well. Yeah, I'm, 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 we're going to have two fingers though. Aha, I see. Yeah. Uh, water, uh, water News, that's W-A-T-E-R-N-U, I mean, sorry. Water News as in the guy from Monsters University. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I see. Okay. I think it's all familiar. Is there a, a band camp or anything? No, we're still, it's, it's brand new, we already have four songs. Fair enough. We've, we've only had maybe three rehearsals. Well, right, because there's COVID-19 coming along. Uh, well, I guess it's really come along. What's, uh, what, what are the plans for playing shows? I know, I, I think I saw you played a show recently. How did that go? Yeah, we're still playing shows. Uh, it's weird. It's weird having people... I mean, it's like, I, I have my friends judging me for, yeah, people, not my friends, but you have a lot of people judging you for still going out and still doing stuff with yeah. respecting you to be in quarantine. Yeah. But, I don't know. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like because I, I'm still working, but they make me go to LAX all the time and they make me interact with people that are like already sick, people with like open wounds and stuff, and I... It hasn't hit me. I, I'm sure I've been exposed to it. I've been around people that were exposed to it before that that had COVID and you know went through quarantine and are okay now. And then now they're hanging out with me. And it's just like you never know. Right. So I'm trying not to like live in fear about it. And I'm not gonna force anyone to go to my shows. But right. I I can't just kick it in in the room and not play shows. Omar actually Omar from Clorox Dream is having a, a baby. Yes. And so his wife is making him stay back, which I understand because, you know, he can't compromise the health of his wife and, like, right. her parents. He still lives with his parents who are much older. Right. So he's been out of this Clorox for a while, and then we got Jake from Dick Sucker. Um, he's also in Goo Lagoon. He, he, 
I'm living with them. My, my roommates are, are Jake and, and um, David from from Sucker, the two main guys. Uh, they're off, you know, they're, they're in Goolagoon. And, uh, Incredible band, by the way, Dick Sucker. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those two guys are my roommates, and then I, I uh, Jake already liked Clorox, so I asked Jake, hey, can you play guitar? And he said, yeah, of course. Yeah. It, it's such a dream working with that guy. Cause it, Omar, like like I said earlier, he's been my best friend for a long time, but since he, he got married, anytime I ask him if he can play a gig, it's like his wife's cousin's birthday or his wife's nephew is having a quinceañera. Not yeah, it's... quinceañera, but like, you know, it's always like a family event every weekend. Right. So... He's very tied down. And with Jake, I'll, I'll, any show I ask him to do, he'll just say, okay, sure. <laughs> I'm, like, well, I'm like, wow, yeah. wow. This is what it's like to just... Yeah, well, he sounds like he's going to spoil you a little bit. Yeah, it's incredible. And he's a, he's a very, 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 very uh, talented musician. And yes, he I is. I can pl- yeah. plug one of his bands called Crucial Love. Okay. It's his project. It's like a power, power, pop, power pop punk. All right. Pop punk. It's like power pop, but like he actually sings in it. Like he's not screaming or anything, and he has a really great voice. That's great to hear. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the so Clorox is still playing shows all the time, and then with Water News, we're, we're practicing and hopefully gonna drop some music and play. And they're already making up T-shirts. It's very interesting because with with Clorox, it's I'm in, uh, I have 100 percent creative control. Like I do the art, I write the songs, like. I, it's my lyrics it's freaking like like it's yeah, not as collaborative I'm choosing the aesthetic because right. they you know the members trust me and they they like what I'm doing right and then with Water News it's like it's like almost like a like an all-star not an all-star band but everyone that's in it is another big band so yeah um, I'm it, just taking a, a backseat and letting them work you know do the art and the branding and everything and I'll just to I'll see how it goes from a distance? No, this is, but I'll pitch into what they're doing. Oh, I see. Um, I'm, not, I'm not driving, you know? Oh, okay. Right, yeah, because you're... Uh, but you're still very present. You're probably still, like, on the on the passenger side, watching everything, like, very... Uh, I don't know, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Is there a, uh, is there a band camp for the Crucial Love? Yes. What? I think you just search Crucial Love band camp on Google and you can find it. I am on the case. Uh, I had a question and I lost it. There's so much going on. The COVID thing. Uh, yeah, the, I, I, the last podcast I did was with someone who mentioned he misses... The thing he misses the most is, like, hugging people. And it's just, like, up to now, I've done, like, seven podcasts. Every one of those people, like, I've been very up close with. I forget. And I think it might be just, you know, my living situation that, that that's made this happen. But I'm... Also, like, just unaccustomed with the social distancing thing, with the uh, with the whole uh, protocol, I guess you could call it. Uh, but the concern really comes for the older people, because I think young people are relatively okay in terms of, like, it's not going to kill us. But it's such a novel thing. Uh, it, it's, gonna, it's probably going to be pretty weird for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well... Any which way, I think it's uh, it's been about an hour. I don't want to. How how, uh, how far are you from your destination? How many more subjects do you think we can uh, tackle here? Uh, I'm at my destination, but I parked in the shade, and I can talk for, for a few more minutes if you want. Fair, fair enough. Uh, you haven't been into LPs. What about cassette tapes? Have you been into cassette tapes at all? I, I know you've put out uh, one Clorox Dream thing that looks like it could be a tape. Yeah, so uh, our friend Jaime from Arm is releasing us on cassette on his label. And that's going to be, it has, it has the whole EP on it that we recorded last year. It has three songs from the from the You're Doing It Wrong podcast that's recorded at Rec. That's the and one, yeah. Yeah, it looks like they took down most of those episodes, so I don't know, that, that's going to be hard to find, but we have the live recordings from that on the tape, and also three songs that we wrote after the EP, so three songs that aren't available in the EP. So altogether, I think Clorox has about 11 songs. So all of that, 
I, I named it the 2020 discography, even though we're like a young band. <laughs> only been a year, but right. It's our, it's our discography up to now. Uh, do you uh, do you listen to your own stuff back, just on your own? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, because I have I have a very specific ear to what I what I like. Yeah. But I'm surprised sometimes. I think that's why I named the band Murderer earlier because it's not something that I could I could even in my mind come up with, and it just sounds so much different. But um, I like I like things to sound very open and shrill in, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, your your vocal style, I mean, I, I don't want to say it hasn't changed, but it's very uh, singular in my mind. Like, not many people can hit those notes or, uh, I don't know, express the voice the way... Well, also, you're, like, not just a voice. I mean, as much as the recordings are great, the live show you guys put on uh, is very high energy and not, you know, it's it's very unique. I mean, I guess this is me just, like, giving you a compliment there. But um, when did you think? When did you? When do you think you found your voice? Thanks, man. Uh, just recently, with sober and yeah, Friday helps helps me a lot. I think before when we were in arm and I was a kid, I, I, it was more like a us versus them thing where I wanted to be very aggressive in our performance. But now that I look back at some of the videos, I still feel dorky and stupid. <laughs> I think now um, I want our sound to be undeniable and I lost interest in like making everyone participate. I kind of just feel like we're creating a space with noise so I'm just going to like sprawl out and just stretch out in the middle of it and I, I, I stopped trying to be what other performers do and realize like I've been singing for over 10 years I'm just going to do what I'm naturally doing and go with it. Yeah. And I think just just uh, just the whole uh, understanding of the accepting the situation and just going with it, like like that theme came from Alcoholics Anonymous. To be honest, because yeah. in AA they tell you just to go with it. There's right. times where like it, I would be hitting full. I started going to AA in Fontana, and Fontana is very different than going to like a meeting in like LA. Because when I take people to like meetings in Silver Lake or in LA. Um, there's a lot of younger people and everyone's more hip and a lot of people are dressed up really nice and everyone it's just it's just a different vibe than going to a meeting in Fontana at some like like older folks like there's like a poor church and it's like old white people and at first I felt like I couldn't connect to them yeah but they all treated me with like love and they would tell me like like when I first got sober I was 28 and they would tell me like Edgar how old are you I'm like 28 and they'd be like, well, I'm soft older than you. Sit down. <laughs> <laughs> but they would tell me, like, you're 28. When I was 28, you couldn't tell me shit, so you're doing a good job. Or, like, 28, uh, my son is 27. How I wish I could get him here. He's on the streets, and I don't know where he is. And he's going to die soon. And, oh, my God, your parents must be so proud. Can I give you a hug? And, like... I learned how to be of service. So, like, all these unexpected things came out of just accepting the situation and going with it. There's times where they would make me go speak at a podium in front of, you know, a rehab, and I'm shitting bricks over here, like, just to go up there and basically tell my story to people. But I had to do it because they told me that if I was asked to do something in AA, I just had to do it for my own sobriety. So that taught me this philosophy of just, like, accepting the situation and going with it. So no matter what show we play or like what's going on like this last show we played was a generator show and at some point the microphone got fucked up and it was like either we just end the set or I scream into the air right stand here trying to fiddle with the cables for a while and that was it that's the options there's no like how big was the room whose fault it is you know there's none of that anymore how big was the room when you had to like uh, scream in the air that was outside. It was at a, like a reservoir, and it was it was it was just a big open field, and it sounded horrible. I could <laughs> the sound the sound wouldn't bounce back off of anything, so right. We kind of had it just like screaming into a void, essentially. Yeah, but but the like, but the AA stuff is very encouraging. The new stuff is what the AA stuff is very encouraging. Oh yeah, it taught me it taught me that a lot of things are possible that you weren't aware of. Yeah. 
um, I went to an AA meeting at the uh, at Hollywood, so I think I know what you mean. How the vibe could be uh, different. Um, a buddy of mine dragged me in there because he was. I don't know. It was it was half like he wanted me to help, like you know, help him get through it too. But it was also a matter of like, oh, check out who's here, or you you know, this one guy dropped by, and I could see how that can be getting in the way of like one bettering oneself. Uh, I don't know. I guess yeah. I'm, I'm I'm glad you're finding your uh, your place, and that uh, there's people there to help you through it. Not to mention, I mean, I'm glad you're there to help people through whatever it is they're going through. Uh, that, that that's a very surprising thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole that's the whole thing. It's like the twelfth step is to pass it on to other people, and uh, that that really taught me the the whole thing about like. One time I heard this lady. I, I was at a meeting and I heard this lady say she was she was the main speaker and she was giving like her final points and her speech and she was she was saying to do things that make you feel good about yourself. And it, taught, it, it made me think like, like yeah, I need to do things that make me feel good about being me. And it, it sounds very selfish in a sense, but it means like, if, it, if those things are good for other people, then you should do them like more often. And for me, that's like, you know, giving money to a homeless person and not saying like, oh, they're gonna use it for drugs. Like, no shit, they need to feel better. So just here's some money. Right. Or, you know, offering a ride to someone or uh, giving someone cl- extra clothing that you have, just being like a person of, sh- of service to other people, no matter what the, the circumstances or if they deserve it or not in your eyes or anything like that. Like how to do things without strings attached um, is just something that I learned in AA. And it's, it's helped me a lot in my life to not feel like I'm a piece of shit anymore. I had a lot, I used to have so much regret about uh, my youth and it made me just want to like hide and get fucked up. Yeah. Well, Doug, I'm glad you dug yourself out of it. Uh, I see I've taken an hour and five minutes of your time. Do you have any final thoughts? No, man, this was fun. Uh, I really like it. I feel like uh, like uh, like the other podcast I did, but more it being able to just talk calmly. So cool. Thank you for giving me that opportunity. Yeah, man. Thank you for giving me your time. Um, if you're open to it, would you be willing to come back to this podcast? Even though no one's going to listen to this, this really may, just for me. Would you be Would you be willing to come back in about two months, maybe? For sure, I'm done. All right, man. Uh, I'll see you around the scene, and uh, take her easy. Okay, cool. All right, man. Have yourself a good day. You too. All right, man. Bye bye.